Welcome to Red Raccoon Games. Hi guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome back to Red Raccoon Games. This is the podcast where a customer, myself, John Parrott, has managed to get uh, some of the staffers of his friendly local game shop to actually sit down with him and talk about all the nerdy things that we all love. Joining me today is Manager Jesse. Hey, and when we're done, you unlock the door, right? That's the deal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Sure. Right. And Assistant Manager, and giving me now a uh, side-eye glance, Jeff. I was told there'd be tacos. You were lied to. But we get to talk about your second favorite thing in the world, uh, and that is all the amazing things that we like to call as a hobby. Now, Jeff, yes, you are a Red Raccoon staple, and I will say that even in my personal history, you make an appearance because <laughs> I come into Red Raccoon games, my wife and I were curious about magic, somehow, almost five years later, here I am now a frequenter at the store to the point <laughs> where I've obviously trapped you all in a room. So uh, just to begin with, I know that you know so much, but what would you consider yourself a specialist at at the store? Um, well, as the assistant manager, uh, I try to keep a handle on what's out there to be able to direct people to things that I think they're going to find fun. But my personal uh, specialities if, would be D&D and board games. And uh, usually when people come in, I'll ask them questions. You know, How many people do you want to play? How long do you want to be? You want it cooperative, competitive, or someone will probably die at the end of this game. You know, stuff like that to then try and narrow down and give them a couple of different things to look at and see where they go from there. Uh, a lot of people come back and say, hey, what you recommended was fantastic. What's next? Okay. And so that's kind of where I'm at for uh, board games. It's Understandable. You you are the the welcome mat. That sounds wrong, yeah. but it's also very right. Uh, I, I get walked on quite a bit. So. I, I will say that though, when you first walk in, there's a good chance Jeff is going to take you by the hand and lead you about. Let me show you something new and shiny. Exactly. Possibly dressed up in a very nice outfit. It's possible. Sometimes we dress Jeff. As a pirate? Sometimes you, a pirate. You get, like, shiny Jeff, like yeah. in Pokemon some days? <laughs> yeah. Like Four your random encounter? Jeff. Special yeah. event-themed Jeff. No, yeah. okay. Five-star. Kickstarter Best edition Jeff. <laughs> uh, so, guys, talk to me about how the store was this week. How are things going? Very busy. <laughs> it's kind of a blur. I was thinking about that coming into this. and uh, It's been great. Lots of people looking for a lot of different things. And it hasn't been... People coming in just for one thing, like, oh, I want the new Magic set, or oh, I want to pre-order the new D&D book, or this one particular Kickstarter game that came in. It's been all over the board, which is really cool. I always like to see that variety hit. Yeah, we've been just seeing incredible numbers. Um, in all honesty, it's been really kind of surprising good. Uh, I know for a lot of stores, the stimulus checks that hit earlier kind of help you know, keep things going, but... That doesn't seem to be the case. It just seems to be, you know, people are discovering new hobbies coming out of COVID and are kind of wanting to keep them going because they've been enjoying doing things without needing screen time and being on the computer and just kind of getting away from that. So, so we're hitting to the point where people were trapped at home. Now they can leave home and realize that they weren't trapped at home. That's exactly where they wanted to be the whole time. Yeah, quite. Uh, that yeah. makes a lot I of mean, sense. A lot of people had that question of, the people who are picking up tabletop gaming, miniatures painting, all these kinds of hobbies during the pandemic and lockdown, 
would they be sick of it when they get out of it or would they keep going? And we're definitely seeing people who go, we keep going. And some of the people who've started to play board games during that time, when they say, oh yeah, I started to come here in November of last year, like it's not been a whole year. I'm like, really? I see you so often that in my brain, I go, yeah. well, you have to have been coming here for years. Yeah. Um, so there's almost like they're more uh, more enthusiastic than even the average gamer, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Fresh faces, never yeah. a bad thing. No. So uh, obviously there's been a little bit of news that has come out this week. Have you guys heard about Arkham Horror Unfathomable getting a whole bunch more information revealed. Yes. Uh, yes. For, for those of you that don't know, I'm actually going to ask Jesse to kind of fill us in because from what I understand, this is a reskin, but not a reskin. Yeah. So they don't mention it because licensing is involved, but um, Arkham Horror and Fathomable is uh, a fresh version of an old game that's been out of print for quite a while. Uh, so around 2010... Uh, a little bit before that, but right around that time period, uh, Fancy Flight Games had a Battlestar Galactica board game that was a tie-in to the 2004 reimagined Battlestar Galactica TV series. And it was a cooperative game, big box cooperative game, with a trader mechanic, where the idea is that you are all various crew members on the Galactica, this starship that is trying to find a new home, and in order to succeed, you have to navigate various crises uh, with limited resources and make a certain number of light speed jumps. However, there are traitors in your midst. If you're familiar with the franchise, you know the Cylons. If you aren't familiar, essentially they are robots who are convincing androids that you can't tell them from a human. They are trying to sabotage that mission. And it's really neat because the Cylons can do that hidden traitor subterfuge, but once they're revealed and they get killed and removed from the normal version of the game, they then respawn in the Cylon ship and they have a new way to play where they get to directly antagonize the other players. It's a, it was a mainstay when I got into hobby board gaming in earnest back in that time here about a decade ago. And uh, we played it all the time. And uh, it's been out of print for a number of years because the, the license lapsed and um, uh, most people just played it into the dirt where it was like, it was cool to cool it off for a little while, right? I'm incredibly excited to see them bringing that engine back. Uh, there was a spiritual successor that was released a few years ago called New Angeles, which is set in Fantasy Flight's own um, Android setting. And it plays similarly, but it's a little different. And anyone who likes hidden role games that are nice, crunchy board games with a lot going on, semi-cooperative stuff, I highly suggest, even if you're already like, I'm in for it, Unfathomable, they are different games. Go buy New Angeles as well. It is an amazing time. Uh, but I love that this is coming back. It's a great style of game. And uh, I know Jeff has been looking at the specifics on mm -hmm. Arkham Horror Unfathomable. And I'm going to pass it over to him for that. Looks really good. So, uh, you know, another recent game that was uh, similar to this that's come out was The Thing, based on mm -hmm. John Carpenter's yes. movie. And uh, that is actually one of my favorite games. Love that game. It is a great social game. So if you've got a good group of people, you can play it with three players, but you can certainly go larger. And if you've got like a good group, five, six, this is a great game for that because everybody's going to be involved with the play every single turn. It's not you take your turn and then you can wander off, go get a drink, food, and come back and see what happens. There's always stuff for you going on, which is really cool. 
so right now, uh, the way Unfath Unfathomable works is you are passengers setting sail on the SS Atlantic going towards Massachusetts and two days out into your uh, journey you're starting to see uh, strange shadows under the waves following your ship and you know you're occasionally having an unusual dream a sense of dread starts to gather about and uh, for those of you that have studied in the mystic, you will know that you are tiptoeing across the realm of uh, the um, Mother Hydra, or the Father Dagon, uh, who ruled beneath the waves. And so uh, this is where things start to take an interesting turn. And the board itself is a very large board with a... Uh, ship map on it but then you also have areas of sea around it with minis figures representing the very steep ones that can be attacking the hull of the ship which uh the passengers obviously want to defend against now some interesting aspects is each player is getting a unique role the captain the first mate sergeant at arms you know the scientist, the explorer, and each of those roles gives them unique abilities and cards which can uh, help you survive um, challenges that crop up uh, or if you happen to be one of the hybrids, actually one of the traitors. That's what one of the it. Cylons. Yes. In some circles. Exactly. Uh, they can actually cause critical failure at key points, but the whole point is knowing what to play and when to play it. Just having a powerful card does you no good if you don't have it in the right situation. And so you're going to start running into situations where groups of the players have to come together and deal with it, and you want to try and make sure you pick the right players and don't accidentally put one of the uh, hybrids or Cylons uh, traders into that group to cause shenanigans. Yeah, this is this is an element that I've been loving in games. I especially love it now being like a light inclusion into games. So mm -hmm. Nemesis, which I think we talked about last week, has that small component where you have a personal mission and mm -hmm. you're on, again on a starship trying to maybe get it home, but you might have a personal mission. Maybe you need to send the ship into the sun in order to prevent any aliens from coming to Earth. Uh, in that, you know, xenomorph aliens type of way. And this gives me that same vibes where mm -hmm. it's things like One Night Ultimate Werewolf are a lot really dependent on your personality. Yeah. And this really allows you to have actions that speak for you instead of having to just be a, a talkative person at the table. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of mechanical things like in, in Battlestar, uh, when you were trying to resolve a crisis, it would be, okay, we need to play in a certain number of cards of this type. You may or may not have those in your hand. So the question is, like, okay, we didn't throw enough in. Someone could say, well, I straight up didn't have it in my hand. Or were you intentionally trying to throw it around, yeah. right? That kind of... Is it just that someone had a bad turn? Do you believe them? Sabotage is yes, possible. Exactly. Yep. Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you will... I always love when you play these kinds of games repeatedly with the same group of people, there will be certain things where you start to learn people's tells or you start to learn that maybe someone's a wild card. A friend of ours named Tony, the joke <laughs> is that you always throw Tony in the brig first turn because he's a wild card. He's going to do something strange to try to trip someone up and it's probably going to shoot you in the foot. 
So you just throw him in the brig. <laughs> Even if he's on your team, just keep him safe yes. in the brig. This is for your own good. This is for all of our goods. So a lot of our listeners are maybe uh, experienced gamers who can just hit the ground running on a lot of stuff, but you know, having a clear, defined structure, i.e., this is your goal. You want to do this allows new players to suddenly come into this game having never tried anything like this before with hidden identities to get a feel of, okay, well, at least now I have a clear endpoint that I'm going towards as opposed to trying to figure that out. Yeah. And uh, that's actually always a great way for getting new people into something that they've never quite done before. Which that is the riddle of steel for all board gamers. Yeah. How to get new people into the game. Yeah. Uh, that was a low-key Conan reference. I don't know if anyone picked up on that. Uh, but one thing I did notice that was different about this game is that when it comes to usually having that Arkham Horror brand, mm -hmm. I look for the same characters. I look for Dexter Drake. He's nope. my magician. I'm looking for nope. Ginny Barnes. My wife loves playing nope. with her. And none of the characters are following this pattern, nope. which... All new. They upset me at first, and I don't know if it's because they wanted to have somebody that they're okay if you think they're a traitor, because mm. I don't want Dexter Drake to be a traitor. He's an amazing stage magician who just happened to find real magic. He doesn't deserve to be thrown off a boat. <laughs> uh, or Indeed, if this uh... is this is another initiative that they have, because uh, both uh, all of the Arkham Horror series has now been focusing on opening up uh, to new characters and being more open about the types of characters yeah. that are coming in. Um, from the last sets that really had some inclusive characters to now including that in Arkham Horror as well, Winifred is becoming one of my uh, wife's favorites. Mm -hmm. And this new cast, uh, I believe there are Native Americans. Um, there are... Uh, non-binary. Non-binary yeah. people. Uh, Jamie is non-binary. And when you read their biography it's all they them which is really cool to see you know really nicely done there which for me knowing that probably we have taken a a concept that actually came from somebody who was so mm -hmm. xenophobic in the real world uh and now we're kind of spinning it Take on its head yeah, he's, he yeah. must be spinning and He's's i love that, that. <laughs> exactly that is one of the interesting things is that Fancy Flight Games has taken this public domain idea of H.P. Lovecraft's mythos, mm -hmm. and their Arkham Horror version of it is its own distinct take on pulp. Mm -hmm. It's a somewhat less dire version of it. It's definitely a neo-pulp. You see that with all their novels that have come out. They look like old weathered paperbacks. They're gorgeous. And by that same point, it goes, let's have characters that can be awesome in this setting and we're not going to attach all the baggage the, the, they would deal with in the actual 1920s and it's nice because it lets you enjoy that Cthulian horror and adventure and just go yeah but I don't I don't need to deal with this other real world stuff over here Cthulian. Um, Cthulian. Yes. I, Cthulian. I was I was going <laughs> to say that <laughs> only somebody with a history degree could say Cthulian <laughs> in such a way that it sounds like a yeah. class I should have taken. Yeah, yeah. The okay. fun fact for the day is that <laughs> Lovecraft actually did not his preferred uh, term for what we usually call the Cthulian mythos was the Yogsothothery. So be thankful that his term didn't catch on because that one's doesn't flow off the tongue as well. That's it sounds also, like a frothy, it sounds like an Orange Julius. That's the name of my uh, hip-hop band, too, so <laughs> I really don't want that to cross. <laughs> like a Yogg's Yeah. With extra cream. 
But in other news, something that's really been big lately uh, is that D&D has been dropping books left and right and, yes. and doing some surprises for us. Yes. So we, we just got um, Ravenloft. Oh, yeah, we got Ravenloft is out. Yep. This year, uh, Strixhaven is coming. Just saw the new covers for Strixhaven. Pretty cool. Pretty. Yeah. Very, very cool. And they've even announced that uh, Strixhaven, for those of you that don't know, is a Magic the Gathering universe that they're incorporating in, just like Theros and just like Ravnica. Uh, and it's supposed that to is- be... Yeah, that is definitely not uh, Harry Potter. It's not Harry no. Potter. No, it's totally not. And I think part of that is it is a college. It is not a school. That's right. And so... Colleges aren't schools. No, not at all. It, it's not... You're not going to have, like, second years. Occasionally. <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> so uh, it, it's supposed to be more of a, an adult feel of education. And they even announced that they playtested uh, the schools having their own subclasses. And that did not work. And so they've already said, hey, we're going back to the drawing boards on this. There's probably going to be feats associated with the different schools, but uh, and maybe some other tweaks. They had a fallback plan, but they know that some people love that flexibility of choosing your subclass, and you want to have that. So I give props to them for that. But the big news that just came out on Friday is that there's even another book coming out. Uh, There's also Feywild. I forgot to bring that for Feylight. Uh, but it's Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons, and I know absolutely nothing about Fizbin. So this one's interesting. Uh, I'll lead. Jeff is the one who's going to have all the information on this one. But I want to preface it with I was standing next to Jamie when he saw the leak about <laughs> the title, and I am. I was born in '90. I am solidly in the middle of millennial, and Jamie is solidly in the you know younger Gen Xer. Um. And uh, he just went, Fizbin? And then some excitement words that I won't say on the podcast. And I was like, who's that? He's like, that's that's the wizard. Like, that's the the, uh, Gandalf equivalent for Dragonlance. And I know that every time they tease a new setting to come in for fifth edition that's called Classic, Jamie's always like, bring back, bring back Dragonlance, bring back Dragonlance. And so was, it was really cool to see him so excited. And I'm going to pass yeah. this over to Jeff because I know Jeff's definitely been looking at this. So one. some very fun things. Uh, first off, uh, those of you that are fans of Dragonlance, you will recognize that Fizbin was the key, uh, like he said, Gandalf character. But it is actually the human avatar of the dragon god Paladine. And so uh, that kind of goes into what's going on with the book. Now, the book itself is just everything you want to know about dragons, including, which they hinted at with uh, the Icewind Dale, was gemstone dragons. And so the gemstone dragons are going to be there. Yes, you will be able to play gemstone dragonborn characters. They're also... uh, You hear that, Hero Forge? Start spinning up those models. <laughs> yep. Now that's gonna be tough because a lot of them, the the uh, gemstone dragons are in the book a little bit more psionic based, and mm. so they are often depicted with floating crystals of mm, their gems cool. around their head. I've seen some of the artwork already; it's amazing. And WizKids has already been putting out a few gemstone dragon uh, miniatures yep. as well, like the, so, the sapphire dragon, yep. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the one that had come yeah. out around. Uh, um, Rhyme of the Frost made 
And so that's going to be a thing. Uh, there are going to be two new subclasses, one for the ranger and one for the monk. Uh, so not a ton of stuff, but there's a lot of development for other classes, other races, to get some interesting stuff with Dragonborn or Dragon effects. Uh, not but, to be confused with Dragonborn of Skyrim. Right. Totally different. No, dragon. totally different. Not the same thing at all. Now, the other thing that's kind of interesting about it is they uh, get a little bit more into the lore and they talk about the first world. And the first world was created by Bahama and Tiamat and was destroyed by them as well. And apparently that then fractured into multiple planes. And as a result, you have great worms, absolute great worms, which they do have stats on in there, which their very existence spans multiple planes. So you can have a dragon who's, we'll call it a shadow or a shade of itself, exists in uh, Faerun and then also exists in Greyhawk and also exists in Kryn. And That's so, really cool. And they are all aware of each other. All three shades are aware of each other. And my understanding is it talks about how, if necessary, all three shades can unite and create a single dragon to deal with something. I'm already seeing campaigns where you have to travel to each of these worlds to kill a specific dragon. Like, chase down the shade Well, of... if you think about Tiamat being a five-headed dragon. Yeah. yeah. So... So what this is is this is meta universe lore that they're developing that this is new, right? This, this is, is some new stuff, and this is written by the same guy that has written all of their other dragon books. This is his shtick. This is what he is doing, and uh, so there are definitely some player character things in there. There are uh, a lot of new monsters now. One of the really cool things that they've done, and like I said, uh, I've seen some of the artwork in the book is. They are showing you these dra dragons and including like a dragon turtle, you know, but they're doing it in a way where you see just enough of it to get an idea of what it is, but not enough of it to have it fully fleshed out and defined. Leaving you room to and really explore. So like you see this dragon turtle and all you see is this maw and just the neck and the front part of the shoulders and then scattered underneath it are the waves and these three-mast, four-mast ships, but they look like little toy cars around this thing. and Or you'll see like this silver dragon wrapped in this sort of storm where you can't make out all the details of it, but you can tell that this thing is just monstrous. And so they've really taken dragon kind to the next level, including the great Elder God sort of style dragons. And you get stats on that, so... I will be calling the dragon turtle Daddy Gamera. <laughs> Sounds like he is larger than a regular Gamera. Gamera. <laughs> uh, okay, so because Dragonlance is obviously somewhat being included in this, yes. I know very little about Dragonlance, except for the fact that you get to ride dragons in Dragonlance. Well, you can ride dragons in Faerun and just about anywhere else, but... Uh... But it does, it's usually not a good idea no, in no, those worlds. Just, that doesn't not. end well. Does it count as riding if you are in their mall? Well, it depends the speed. Uh, I mean, you get there in one or more pieces, I suppose. <laughs> but I'm I'm wondering if you guys had to put bets down. I haven't seen any info about this. 
Will there be rules about riding dragons? Oh, yeah. It's in there. Oh, uh, they've already announced yeah, that. My I missed that completely. My understanding, it is in there. And there's also another uh, thing. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on it. But basically, they are... They're not dragonborn. They're like dragon hybrids where they are unstable dragons. Where Like a chimera kind of? I can't remember the term. I am completely drawing a blank on the there's, term. There's the two people that listen to this screaming the real answer yeah, right now. Well, yeah. yeah, and we appreciate you. But what's interesting about those is, no, you will not be able to play those as uh, character races because they are unstable. And so literally at some point they could explode or turn into stone like or an aberration. dissolve into acid. And I'm just like, great, you go fight in some dragonborn-looking green dragon thing, you hit it, and the whole thing just turns into acid and melts your legs off. I love that weird stuff. It's like, you always want to keep the players a little bit just like, Things are not exactly as they're yeah. written in the book. Yeah, so there's some, there's some interesting... So about a third of the book... Well, I'd say about two-thirds of the book is definitely DM-oriented. Uh, very much for the DM. But there are some things in there for the players. And, uh, you know, the... Oh, the other thing to also note is with the uh, Crystalline Dragonborns, they are very neutral-focused on alignment and sort of starting to reinforce that moving away from the hard structure, lawful evil, neutral good style of alignment to give players a little more flexibility in there. Which a lot of what 5e seems to do. Yes. Well, and I like that, especially for something as inhuman as a dragon. They should have the, the trope is blue and orange morality, right? A dragon's morality to me should be completely unfathomable as a human because they operate on a completely different plane of logic. Yeah, well, I mean, they're doing plans and structures across hundreds of thousands of years, and so you can have a red dragon that is saving the life of somebody who may end up causing shenanigans, you know, 38 years later because they did something else. It's all chess. That's that's why one of my favorite details about Shadowrun is that all the megacorps and whatnot are ran by dragons because dragons are the long game. Right. Yeah. They were playing for this even before the sixth world yeah. came about. Yep. Uh, going back to kind of character options, yes. uh, I do know that in D&D Beyond, this was already hinted that dragons were going to be big because they always have something, uh, D&D Beyond being the online tool that Wizard approves for sure. building characters. Uh, that they already had the two classes for people to play test. Yes. And one of them was a ranger, mm-hmm. where you get a drake that can evolve over time, so a little Pokemon-ish. Uh, and the other being a monk, which, again, I, I, my, me personally, you have to have a lot of imagination sometimes to make a monk feel cool. Uh, and I still feel like, even though it's dragon-related, I'm, I'm still not seeing a lot of that here. I don't know. I mean... If you get a chance, um, and you're an Overwatch player, you guys already know this, but if not, go to YouTube and look up the Overwatch short. It's an animated short movie uh, for Hanzo. And that could give you a really good inspiration when he finally faces off against his brother and performs his ultimate move. Spoilers for Overwatch, a game that has taken the world by storm for yeah. multiple years. Overwatch's plot? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> it has yeah. videos that are plot. Yeah, and then but you do... it, is, it is well worth, just artistically, yeah. a great short 
but that's that's exactly what i'm saying sometimes when it comes to monks i feel like the way that they give them abilities you have to develop a lot of the visuals of how that is for it to feel cool whereas some of the abilities just in some of the straight characters are just cool yeah um but kind of i I wanted to talk a little bit about not only the play test ability Mm -hmm. but D&D Beyond is a game changer. And just to kind of segue into a little bit more D&D sure. stuff, there's been tools out there that have helped people play D&D, mm. but never something sponsored like this, never mm. something that has playtest material, not something that is constantly, I mean, I'm, I'm watching these dev videos and they're talking about making containers in your character profile so that you can have, like, I have a backpack. These are the items inside my backpack. Mm-hmm. or being able to have an encounter builder for DMs. Mm. And I do know that over time, different editions come out for a game. But now that we're in a digital space where literally they have made changes to character stats within D&D Beyond, mm. when do you think we're going to see another edition? When is D&D 6th edition coming out, in there's, your opinion? So there's some interesting things there. To address the short answer for your final question first, I think that not until they have to. Um, there have not, to my knowledge, been any inklings even yet of playtesting, which playtesting for 5th edition was a multi-year campaign uh, coming out of 4th. 5th um, edition, had, they have been very deliberate about slow-rolling the entire line. Uh, I mean, frankly... When 5th edition came out, their correct competition was Pathfinder 1st edition. Right. And they knew they had to do something different than Pathfinder. Pathfinder was, you know, effectively improved 3rd edition D&D, and they had content, content, content every month. Mm -hmm. And if you were a person who wants new content all the time because you play frequently, Paizo had that going for you. And Wizards did a very smart move, in my opinion, where they went, you know what? Let's capture the people who get overwhelmed by content. Let's release a few books a year. And coming in, it meant that there was not a lot of diverse content the first couple of years. But it means that you can be very deliberate. I mean, earlier today, someone said, I used to play second edition. I'm getting into 5e now. What do I need? And I said, here's the core rulebook. And in player's handbook is all you need if you are a player. Here are the guidebooks that give you extra options if you want specific options. And uh, now, to the flip side of that, they said, well, Forgotten Realms is the main setting. Is there a setting book? And I said, no, it's really spread out by module primarily, except for the Sword Coast Adventure Guide, which was a a book they haven't really revisited that style since. But they basically said, like, oh, Icewind Dale? We'll have the setting information for Icewind Dale in the module book. The Innistrad, you know, Curse of, or not Innistrad, <laughs> Curse, uh-huh. Curse of Strahd has the Ravenloft information in there, yeah, right. etc. Um, so I think that they are going to keep writing 5th edition as long as possible. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. right. Uh, now, to that point, you make an interesting comment about people having this digital content. You know, when is Wizards going to say, hey, your digital content is no longer valid, or are they going to pull anything with upgrades? They have been through this before, and it did not work out well during 4th edition, there was D&D Insider, if I'm remembering the name mm-hmm. of it right, mm-hmm. which was a digital subscription that you could get your books digitally there. And the platform was less good and more good as time went on in terms of actually accessing that information. But 
one of the major issues they had was they were putting out books at a very rapid clip and books had heavy errata after the physical book was released to where people stopped wanting to buy physical books because they were outdated so quickly and uh-huh. insider gave you all the errata but then it became a pain of they went hey we have this way to patch things so easily just like you patch an online game right and people started to get very frustrated with is my character still valid this month and so i think the wizards is very careful while they're very glad to put out first party tools through beyond and all the things that come with that they're very careful with writing that line to where they don't they don't cannibalize themselves too heavily um see i think a little bit different um i uh remember when third ed came out D was dying because they had it so proprietary and they came out with third ed and they opened it up ogl style and anybody including myself could write and publish books and i did and it was interesting to see what stuck and what didn't. And uh, Paizo started just eating Wizards lunch on it. And they took it and they ran hard. Now Paizo, uh, when they first got going, was putting out a book every month and oftentimes multiple books. But the problem was is they recognized that the biggest base of role players is not the DM. The DM will have an amazing library of books, but they're only one person at a table of five or six. Mm-hmm. And so if we put out a book for the players, we're going to sell five or six of those to one of the DMs. And so as a result, Paizo has amazing different uh, character ideas and classes, but it became so much that it became overwhelming to just keep track of all of that. And so... With 5th edition, they have pulled back on that, and while they are putting out player books like Xanathar's and Tasha's, which really are very heavily geared towards the players and excellent resources, the other books that they do put out tend not to have as much going out for them. Putting the bulk of it, like I said, two-thirds of Thizbans is for the DM. Mm-hmm. And what becomes interesting there is, yes, there's organized play with Adventures League, and you want to follow the rules as set forth by uh, Wizards to make sure your characters. But if you're not in organized play, then it's simply, is my DM okay with this? Can we just stay with the old rules? Okay, fine. Then that's what we're going to stay with. And so the errata uh, for homebrews, which still the bulk of people uh, doing D&D is a homebrew. Um, I will say Watsy can certainly learn a few things from Paizo on organized play, but that's a whole other subject yeah. and topic. But uh, by doing that, you know, Jesse's right. If it's not broke, don't fix it because D&D is not a poor man's version of 3.0 or a child's version of 3.0, but it is a simplified, clean version yes. of 3.0. And so people who don't get geeked out about all the little mechanics or how to min-max things, who just want to play a rousing story and get together with friends, can do that very effectively. So when you talk about moving to D&D beyond as a regular basis, again, I think that 
is a good add-on and it will probably get there but i don't think it's going to be something we're going to see for a number of years uh, there's still a lot of old school people like myself who just like having a paper book and feeling dice in their hand as opposed to poke a button you know and read online and you know considering the number of people that come into our store just to get dice you don't need dice you got a phone you open that up boom random you can do what you want you know that tactile effect you know being able to see physical miniatures out on the table not necessary for the game but just one of those things that just takes it as a different direction other than like an mmorpg and so i think as they progress uh especially with paizo 2.0 um pathfinder 2.0 with paizo going the opposite direction a very complex robust system versus dnd you know they've even gone more complex with it um I don't see them really needing to come out with a new version 6.0 for a while until there's something that actually is giving them, uh, you know, heartburn. And I, I 100% agree with these elements. In fact, I think one of the biggest things they have going for them with this open system where people can learn is that we have been seeing so many online groups mm -hmm. starting podcasts, starting Twitch streams. Critical Role is what everyone says, but Dimension 20 from College Humor is another great oh, option yeah. for that. Talk about figures, talk yeah. about seeing great stories unfold uh, that are all using the 5e system and in a way teaching the yeah. 5e system because yeah. 5e is so accessible, listening to how these characters play, yeah. you can catch on to what their abilities are, what you could, how they're working, and then kind of have that same as you see on um, The Great British Bake Off or on like <laughs> yeah. Gordon Ramsay where you're like, oh, of course you wouldn't put a faux gras in there. That's a horrible choice. Yeah. You have people saying, well, why would you cast that spell now? That's a horrible choice. And really seeing to interact. But yeah. I think another flip side of that online content, though, is that we're seeing a lot of people wanting that whenever they think they have to DM a game. Yeah. And that's an interesting situation there. D&D uh, &D Beyond provides a lot of really neat things, including uh, modules written by you know non-WOTC individuals, adventures, so they can go online. Some are pay what you will, some are whatnot. But one of the things that is interesting about that is like, okay, how do we separate some of this stuff from what's good for my group? And you know, again, it kind of comes down to the DM being the group leader. You know, they're the ones that sort of set the tone and set everything else. And if the DM just simply says, look, we're going to do theater of the mind. I've got my papers and dice here, and we're not going to have figures because uh, I like food, and I'm going to eat food before I buy minis. That's fine. Now, granted, there are, you know, people who are just like, oh, this is great. I want to have the figures, and I want to do the special effects and stuff like that. But you can still tell a rousing story just with your voice and the figures and the maps and all that should only enhance the story. It should make it just a little bit better. That's uh -huh. it. The story itself has got to stand on its own. Special effects will not carry a movie nowadays. If the story's no good, the special effects are no good. Okay, that was cool, but eh. and with the Dungeons Dragon movie coming out, we're going to make yeah. sure that's true. Yeah. And Jeff is absolutely right that I think that there are a lot of people who see, oh, D&D &D has to be this tactical game with miniatures and maps and everything. And I think that 
if if someone comes to me and says, so I have this thing where my players just keep like going well. There, there's no there's no cinematic experience to combat. It's just I do my attack or I do the spell, and there's no description to it. First thing I say is do theater of the mind because now they have to visualize it, and they're instead of getting I I swing my sword at the thing that's by within five feet of me. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So the you know the owl bear is over in the woods. Okay, am I within fifteen of that? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll move closer, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna do a large cut with my gray blade, right? That kind of thing makes people get more to the description of the combat mm-hmm. instead of getting and you ha- it's, it's, you have to establish who your players are. Some people come into D and D because they want a tactical minis game mm-hmm. with a little bit of story attached. Some people want to play a story game that has some combat in it, mm-hmm. and you want to know who your target is there. But I agree yeah. that I, I think theater of mind is something everyone should try at least once, and yeah. maybe you'll stick with it. I think that one thing that a lot of especially people that watch Dimension 20 and Roll 20 or Critical Role don't realize that they don't have at their disposal is an editor. Yeah. yeah. Because I can guarantee you, Critical Role does do live stuff, but they're also all experienced actors. Yeah. And they've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Uh, Dimension 20 and a lot of your other online programs, they have people cutting the episodes yeah. to give you the best premium bits yes. of what you're seeing. Yeah. And so if you are going into it and you're expecting just to be this cinematic experience that's going to be amazing, okay, but also know your players are going to argue for 20 minutes on what to do with this non-magical sack because they just got fixated <laughs> on it. And, and it, it's not going to be cinematic. But you, as the DM, are providing this world for them. And... If they walk away with a good time, that's the important exactly. part. Yeah, they they say, okay, when's the next session? Those are the best words you can hear as people are getting up off yeah. the table because they're like, all right, that was great. I want more of this. We need to get this scheduled. And if you're one of the five people listening to this, that hey, we've gone actually, up. We only yeah, got two who, earlier. I, well, I'm fingers crossed. Woo-hoo! <laughs> uh, and you've sat through all of this D&D talk, even though you're not into D&D, and we've somehow strung something inside you. You're like, what is this like? Is this should I be? I want to say Jeff yes. uh, does an amazing D&D 101 at Red Raccoon. Uh, this is all he does. They lock him in a room, and he's only brought out to do D&D stuff. True. Uh, True. Yep. And he, I've sat through that session. Excuse me. I have gotten to experience this session, <laughs> and it is fantastic. Jeff does an amazing job. He does theater of the mind, and he does minis, and he will give you the best expression of where to get started. And then if you want to learn how to DM, he'll be there for you. And if you want to be a player, the store can definitely hook you up with people that can probably help. You. That's actually one of the things that we do offer the store. Uh, John kind of mentioned that. I've had a lot of people who have started up groups after 101, so homebrew, you know, they're just making it up as they go along, doing what's right for their players. We've had people go into the Adventure League events, which we are starting back up. And Adventure League is kind organized of play. an organized yeah. play where you can come. A formal structure. There's some missions that you can sign up for, yep. be in attendance for. There's going to be a DM for you. It's not going to be a continuous thing. It's more of a, a pop-in, pop-out yeah. situation. Yep. And uh, so we've had people go that route, but we've. You know, I've had people come in and just say, hey, I'm doing this with my players. What do you recommend? Or how do I handle this when this happens? And I'll talk to them and I'll be like, well, here's what I can give you some suggestions on. And the whole idea is just, you know, let people have a good time with it. And 
you know, we've had everything from parents and kids who end up running sessions for themselves afterwards to, you know, we, we want to keep doing this. I've just been, you know, eight hours with my child and they never pulled out their cell phone once. So <laughs> how do I get more of that? And kind of leaning into something that John had mentioned is for a lot of folks who are interested in finally trying D&D, their only exposure to the game may be these high production level shows like Critical Role, mm -hmm. where everything is very developed and there's a lot of terrain and special effects. Mm -hmm. And that's all very cool. But then they might think, oh, this is what's expected of me if I'm the DM. And I've seen people who come in who have never gotten to play, but they're going to be the DM for their group and they're all fresh and they get really tied up in I was like, what do I need? I'm like, well, you need these books here. And if you want some stuff, here's some minis. Here's a couple options of where yeah. your budget is for maps if you want to do that. And then they're like, oh, I need to get all these minis. I need to do some 3D terrain. I'm like, no, 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 just, just play first. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, in general, uh, I would say that the D&D &D 101 that Jeff runs is a great way to see what is a actual normal everyday D&D &D table look like. Mm -hmm. And that helps a lot of people go, oh, I don't have to do all of this song and dance. I can just provide a good story. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It, again, it's just like special effects in movies. Um, if the story of the movie is good, the special effects will enhance it. The minis and the maps and all the cool stuff will make the story even better. And hopefully Hugh Grant will, too. Well, with the D and D one, he's gonna be weird as a bad guy. Really, I, he is. I am not feeling that. I don't know how that's gonna work. It'll be it's really a, it's weird. a bold move, Cotton. See how it plays. Yeah, out. really. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> on the Ocho. So I'm gonna go ahead and close the DM book on all of our D and D yep. talk because I want to get into some of the new hotness that is on the shelf. Now, I, I came in today when we were recording before I locked you in this room. I did see Marvel Champions has. A new character pack. For those of you that don't know, Marvel Champions, you get to play as a hero, but it's kind of a deck builder, kind of a collectible card game, uh, kind of a headset, and it's not just Venom, it's Agent Venom. Yeah. Yes. And, and going off of what uh, John said, as far as if you haven't played Marvel Champions, it's all the fun of a customizable card game like Magic, except one, there's no chasing rares because everything is in preset expansions. Two, it is cooperative, so you get to have all that fun. I did this amazing combo, but your friend doesn't get tilted because they're having a bad turn and you just wrecked mm -hmm. them. You are wrecking the villain together. Yep. And um, mentioning Agent Venom, I was a huge fan of Rick Remender's run on the Venom solo comic where Flash Thompson became uh, Venom, had the Venom symbiote, and was a secret agent for the government, and then went on the run and went rogue. That is an amazing run, and uh, it's a really fun incarnation of the character because they developed a sedative for the symbiote where it would keep it under control to where the urges of the symbiote wouldn't take over. But then there would be times where uh, Flash wouldn't get it in time because the mission went wrong, or once he went rogue, spoilers for a comic that's been out for like eight years, um, he would uh, then have to start grappling with the urges of the symbiote. And there's a lot of fun stuff that happened with that uh, incarnation of the character. So very cool to see that the hero pack for Venom is that incarnation. And I believe Venom is not a villain in any of the sets yet, but that does not, still yes. open that up later on. Yes, there could be like an Eddie Brock Venom uh, later on in uh, one of the villain packs. I'll be curious yeah. to see if that opens up for a traitor mechanic. Right now, you were saying that you couldn't wreck the other team, but 
You're walking a fine line there, potentially. So Nebula has actually now been in the game twice, once as a villain yes, and once as a character yeah. pack that you can play as. So, so far, no traitor elements there, but it's definitely, that's one of the nice things about this game is just seeing what they're going to do next. Yeah. War Machine is coming out soon, and seeing how he'll play differently than Iron Man is really exciting. Uh, is there been anything else in the new hotness that I should be looking at? Uh, actually, quite a few things. Uh, Merchant's Cove, uh, which we just got, which is an asymmetrical uh, Euro-style game. We should say that it is uh, fairly crunchy. But by asymmetrical, not everybody is following the same mechanics to get to the end game. Everybody's doing it a little bit different. So that's what we mean by asymmetrical, whereas one person might be trying to do, you know, gather up a certain amount of resources to then be able to resell, where the other person may be trying to uh, time the market as opposed to just creating things. And so... Uh, but that one we've got as a Kickstarter bundle, and it has been moving out of here fast. And some of the interesting mechanics, in, like, for example, some of the expansions, is you have a roll-and-write mechanic for one of the merchants. And another one, you have a predictive merchant, where you are trying to predict how things are going to end up at the end of each round, so you can take advantage of that. Whereas uh, another one has sort of a Moncala effect, where you're moving... Uh, resources about in sort of a five tribes way and so uh, which leads to some very interesting play I think but yeah that is that's been moving very very quickly um, you know in the stores which is really neat to see uh, people like yeah I want this I'm going all in give me the full bundle and it's huge the bundle's yeah. huge yeah the uh, another Kickstarter game that we got in recently from Smirk and Dagger is uh, The Night Cage, oh. which is a very neat, very, very thickly thematic yeah. horror game where uh, it reminds me a little bit of anyone who remembers Subterra. It yes. reminds me a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, but essentially it's a cooperative game where the players have woken up in this series of catacombs that they have to find keys and an exit. So you have your candle, which is burning out, and your candle is the stack of tiles that as you move, you reveal tiles to move around. However, you can only see so far with that candle. So once you move away from a tile, and it's further than one away from you, it was removed from the table. If you go back that way again, a new tile will be put there. So the hallways keep changing. There is a soundtrack for the game. There is It's very minimalist, but creepy. And I mean, it's one that I, I sent a picture of it to my wife, and she was like, oh, so that's one you're bringing home, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the one we have in right now is the all-in Kickstarter version, which has some extra cool stuff. It is a game that has a fully functional retail version that will be out later yep. as well. And, and if you're hearing about these things, you go, oh, I, that sounded awesome. I wish that I'd gotten in on the Kickstarter version of that. Uh, we back Kickstarters as a store all the time. If mm -hmm. there's a retailer-friendly level on a Kickstarter, we and it looks like there's demand, we get in on it. There's a Facebook group, Kickstarters at Red Raccoon Games, uh, where you can come in and ask about it. Uh, but it's a great way to not have your money tied up until a game comes in, because we don't make you pay for the whole thing in advance. Yep. And uh, even if you don't do a pre-order uh, backing it through the store, there's things like Oath, where we yep. have the Kickstarter version of Oath, and we still have a few copies left, right? Yep. And we do our best to keep those at a... Uh, at a good price for our local customers, yep. um, even when they're going 
cuckoo bananas online. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, kind of going back to the night cage, uh, one of the cool things I personally like about games is how it can change social dynamics of a table. Uh, a lot of people think of a game and they think competitive. They think, you know, one winner, the rest are not. And uh, the night cage is not. It is a cooperative game, and you can play it solo as well. So if for some reason you just aren't able to grab, get some people around, or you're just wanting some quiet time yourself, you know, it is a fully cooperative group. So everybody has to win or nobody wins. So it just brings a different social dynamic to the game. We talked about trader mechanics. We've talked about competitive mechanics. Well, cooperative mechanics are another thing that I really enjoy. So just going back, is is this Nightcage spooky? Is it a spooky game? It's spooky in that it has a very good grim atmosphere. If someone is like, it's if someone is is squeamish about horror, it is more thematic and in like a gothic kind of feel. Think Babadook. Yeah, yeah. Think Babadook, where so, it's a shadowy creature you don't ever quite really see, and it's. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's okay. it's very it has a nice feel to it, but it's not like and here's a gory description of something. No, 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 It's all very abstract. Yeah, I like how you're like, don't be worried. It's it's more it's not that scary. And then you say Babadook, which I believe is now a, <laughs> such a word that inspires fear. Yes. Um, so that's that's, old, old. that's a really great dichotomy. I, I get stuck in this mental space where. I'm having flashbacks to high school when I was playing Silent Hill 2 on the PlayStation 2, and there was a labyrinth area that you had to go through, and it's just terrifying. And for some reason, as you speak, like my brain keeps going back to well, that. Well, so related to that. Stop that. Stop. Don't need that. I don't need that in my uh, life. Yeah, in the game, you work together as a group, but you're not able to stay together as a group and be effective. And so you will be required to split the party. And as Jesse mentioned, if you get too far away, you might discover the way back is not the way you went. Well, uh, that is a new stress dream that I can have. You're welcome. Uh, is there anything that once I'm now terrified, I can go outside in the daylight and play? Wow, that's a very specific segue, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> did we talk about the outdoor games last episode? We did not. So we recently got in some stuff that is rather yes. different. Uh, series of outdoor games. I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. So uh, they are... Um, they're fantastic. They're fantastic, yeah. So there's the golf pool, pool golf. Yep. And uh, that when we say outdoor games, some of them are definitely outdoor, but a lot of them Four are designed games. to be indoor, set up on the kitchen floor or you know a nice large area, maybe in the basement, like the uh, pool golf. Yeah, there's a curling game as well, which curling is my favorite. The Olympics on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, not hair curling. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and there's a domino race. So that's a table game, but yep. it's a large box game. There's the, I can't think of the name of it, there's the boffer weapon one with the blow-up. Yeah, the jousting. The jousting, The yeah. jousting, yeah. and those are fun. Yeah, and, uh, and there's, there's at least one. There's a there. labyrinth, uh, one yeah. of those little metal la uh, ball labyrinths where you turn the dials to tilt the the uh, the maze itself to move the ball through it without it falling into the halls, uh, holes there. and addictive. Yeah, and uh, so we've got that there, and then there's... I mean, there's a number of things. We got a number of different things. Uh, uh, sort of a bocce ball style rolling disc game for the yard, which is kind of fun. Rollers. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's just a number of things that we have for that to take 
gaming in a different direction. So yeah. after getting pasty and white sitting at the table, <laughs> you can go outside and do something yeah. a little physical. So When your family is like, oh, you just play board games, you can pop one of these out yeah. and say, no, yeah. I go outside sometimes. Just make sure you dress up in your armor for the jousting game. Yes, of And course. then step upon the, the tilting platform and uh, issue forth a formal challenge to all about. And check your armor proficiency before you do yeah, any yeah, sort yeah. of work in this way. Yeah, athletics check? Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Oh, that's something that we had did not talk about last episode was the old school essentials. I don't think we talked about that. No. We did not. Yeah. yeah. What I saw some of those in the new hotness. I thought we were closing the book on oh, no. RPGs, but maybe we need yeah, to open yeah. it back up. Yeah. What is these old school essentials? So Old School Essentials is a uh, line of uh, D&D retro clones or uh, old school renaissance style games. Effectively, uh, a game that is trying to capture the magic of the way D&D felt back in the 70s and 80s. And Old School Essentials is specifically aiming to be compatible with and capture the feel of the basic expert, the BX line for D&D, which I personally, if I'm playing older D&D, I really like playing basic D&D for the same reasons I like 5th edition. It strips down to a lot of, it's not overly detailed with mechanical options, and instead of that, you focus on the story. And uh, I wasn't around for this, obviously, mm. because I am a youngin, uh, but uh, Jeff can speak a little bit more to why this is better than just breaking out your old BX. Yeah, when him and Gary Gygax were in the basement together. Back in my day, we had to roll stones. Uh, so yeah, this is actually a really cool setup. It goes back to where elves and dwarves are not races, but actual classes. Uh, it goes back to Thacko. Yes, those of you out there that remember that, and those of you that don't, in all honesty, just stay away from it. Just There's, say no. There just is an optional no. rule for using ascending AC, so you yes. don't have to use that. There is a way to deal with that, but um, it's just kind of a way to get back to sort of that 1980s feel of that sort of style, where instead of there being one experience chart for leveling up any character you have, every class had its own experience chart, and so they would all level up at different rates. And the saving throws were all specific, like death magic and petrification and poison and stuff like that. I will say that one of my favorite uh, podcasts, Dungeons and Daddies, uh, they did an episode where one of the characters went back in time. <laughs> and they switched the gameplay from 5e to first edition. <laughs> and this is really giving me those type of vibes, where it's yeah. like, yeah. poison just kills you. Like, there's no antidote. No, there, it's you, just you you're dead. Do, yeah, there's I no remember, three rolls to see if you die. <laughs> I remember one time I was at a gaming group, and someone had said, hey, next time we meet up, I'm going to run a one-shot that's basic. Just basic D&D. And I and uh, I was like, oh yeah, well, where elves have no class. And uh, the person's elves spouse glared at me, glared at me like I offended their family. I was like, I didn't know you were, you know, I didn't know you were that close with the elves. Elfist. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, yeah. Way to go. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> you insulted my people. That's right. Orlando Bloom shows up, just shoots you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just to kind of close up, I was just wondering what was going on at the store this week, what we could probably be looking forward Madness. to. Madness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so one thing, just kind of touching on uh, D&D yet again, because this is the D&D podcast, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this Saturday, we're doing D&D 101, and uh, we take up to six people and run them through two adventures. 
and you whether learn, they like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you learn by doing. So even if you know absolutely nothing, you're going to jump right in and you're going to do that. You're going to also learn how to create your own character, which you will then use for the second adventure. So by the time it's all said and done, you're going to know exactly how to play things. You'll understand what skill checks are and how to do combat and stuff. And it really gives you a good feeling for this is what all the excitement is. So I know we said no D&D, uh, and we have now broken that rule multiple times, and Jeff has lost his microphone in the excitement of him talking. I'll wash it off later. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I did want to say that I believe the Magic the Gathering set for Dungeons yes. & Dragons has come so, out. So Adventures in the Forgotten Realms pre-release is occurring as we record this. Uh, and if you are not familiar, because there are a lot of people who are coming back to Magic after 10, maybe 20 years, uh, because it's a finally a D&D set after, <sighs> after you know, Wizards of the Coast has owned both properties for over 20 years now. You can listen to our last episode and hear that rant. Yeah. But um, there are a lot of people coming back. So pre-release means that we can sell limited product until this coming Friday. And I'm using relative time because I don't have a calendar in front of me. But... Go to redraccoongames.net, look at our events calendar for information on any of the events we're discussing, and uh, then we can sell everything after this coming Friday. So until then, we can sell set booster boxes and pre-release kits. After that, we can sell everything, and that's super cool. There's also the Gundam Build Night as uh, the third Tuesday of each month. So that is this coming Tuesday as of when we're recording this. And again, mm -hmm. if that's already passed by the time you hear this, that's okay. Look at our events calendar at redrickcongames.net, and you can see when the next one's occurring. And that's just uh, like a nerd sewing circle. We all build plastic model kits together. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of the photos that come out of there, and it's, it's amazing. When you guys, even the ones that are just following the base guidelines look so good because you guys are sharing knowledge uh, and, and experience there. So... If you are, if you are a type of person that loves puzzles, mm -hmm. but you're also nerdy as get out, and you're like <laughs> giant robots, also cool. Yep. This is the exact right hobby for you because the sound that a click makes when it falls perfectly into place, it's just satisfying. I think we've just heard John's ASMR. <laughs> really? There. Yeah. That's I'm just gonna put a little microphone there and let you guys do your thing and. This is I, I try and focus on you, the store people, when we do this podcast. But I will say, uh, in high school, I stumbled upon Gundam kits uh, for fun, and I got one, and I absolutely loved doing it. I was actually upset how long it took me. It was too short. It was too short a time. And so I would have to drive an hour just to get to a Toys R Us that would have this one specific section. Uh, <laughs> Yes, yes. Plastic. Uh, I think this time... that to C1. And I'm we gonna need some use... rain in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use toenail clippers this time because it's a very unique effect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I highly suggest... I have not been to the Gundam Knights. I have not followed that path in my rabbit hole yet. Uh, but I'm sure that I still have a little bit of life yet. And uh, maybe in retirement, I'll be so, able to... Another thing we've got coming up on uh, Wednesdays is Vampire the Rivals card game, living card game. And uh, that is something we're doing every other week, uh, which is really cool. Uh, a good social card game. The mechanics in the card game 
makes it for a very interesting social uh, negotiation. And so Angel, uh, our events coordinator, is going to be doing uh, Learn to Plays for that and some really cool stuff. So And this is Angel from Buffy? <laughs> no. Okay. Although I've Although, never seen them in a room at the same time. That's fair. And I think they're both from California. So, hmm. Okay. Now, where are the tacos? If David <laughs> Boreanaz is not at Red Raccoon, it's not our fault. We're not saying anything. We're just putting it out there. Now, I will say, if you are someone who enjoys playing multiplayer magic like Commander, yeah. and you wish that it just had that many more mechanics that were specifically for the politicking around the table, yeah. This is definitely one you want. Very to similar to uh, the conspiracy sets, yeah. where there is, we will put a vote to the table, or I am going to draw in some of the other players on a hidden agenda, which I'm going to use against that guy because he's a jerk. It strongly reminds me of the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, the Game of Thrones living card game, yeah. which I used to play tons of. And, uh, that very very cool stuff so we've got that coming up also this week so uh, a lot of good stuff fantastic i'm so glad to see the store open up I'm yep. so glad live events are happening again oh yeah um i have a problem with people so you probably won't see me there <laughs> uh but i am i am glad that there's going to be a place for so many people that love these hobbies and explore it yeah it'll be really good um with that thank you guys for joining me for episode two i'll go ahead and unlock the door and return your cell phones uh, and to everyone who's listening, thank you, and we'll see you next week. Have a great night. See you.